Blog Talk Radio. Good morning or good afternoon wherever you are and welcome to Blog Talk Radio and The Mind Whisperer. I'm your host, Michael Gordon. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's a crisp, sunny, cold, beautiful morning here in uh, the west coast of Canada. And uh, it's my pleasure to host you today on the program. We have a great topic and the title of today's program is, Is There Something Wrong With Me? Redefining normalcy. Now, here we are at the crest of a new year. A lot of people are making resolutions and wanting to make changes in, in your life, and that's a very well-intentioned uh, proposition, you know, to to move forward in a more positive way and change your habits. And last program, if you are listening in or if you want to go back and uh, look at the archive program, uh, discussed resolutions and, in fact, why resolutions fail. Uh, on the most part for a lot of people, as do a lot of kind of recovery programs and treatment programs, um, in the, in, on the basis, they, they fail on the basis that the fundamental premise is uh, one where it's about the relationship to yourself. And when we approach trying to make changes on that level, um, unless we're engaging our subconscious mind and making changes at, at the habitual level, then we're kind of just, as the saying goes, window dressing uh, or, or, or rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Now, what I want to address more today in terms of that approach and, and looking at making changes and resolutions is, our, is actually our relationship to ourselves. And the last program, I hinted at that in terms of... W- Trying to make changes from, um, to use a big word, you know, interrogative kind of structure, you know, of the mind, and making a command to yourself, I will do this, versus um, being positively oriented towards the outcome that you want and having it be more reward-based and um, more workable that way. And that's some research that I mentioned in the last program. And sort of bring, drawing out that topic a little further today, we're going to look at how the nature of uh, defining our relationship with ourselves or our intrinsic identity and, and sense of self-worth as being flawed somehow and having to conform to something else that's actually normal is very self-destructive. And this really brings us to something I brought up in a in few previous programs, which is a, a quite a striking difference between an Eastern, uh, when I mean Eastern, I mean primarily a Buddhist uh, psychological outlook uh, versus the Western uh, psychological outlook. 
And in those contemplative traditions of the East that are mostly, you know, originate or strongly originate from um, Buddhist teachings and the Buddhist orientation, um, there the 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 starting premise is one where we are whole beings. Now we may have struggles and we may have uh, karmic conditions into which we're born that uh, set us up with some challenges in terms of overcoming our perceived limitations and some of our habits. And habits are real. Habits of mind and some things that may impede us in terms of our physical abilities. Sometimes people are born with disabilities or a sickness or et cetera, et cetera. Circumstances into which you're born. It could be anything. So there's a difference between recognizing your intrinsic value and your birthright as a spiritual being to be whole and to experience happiness on a very pervasive level of happiness in terms of the joy of living and to um, fulfill your life like any other being. So there's a sense of what's called the equanimity, that like any other being, you deserve happiness. And that is strikingly different from the premise of psychology. And let's use Freud as a as an overriding sort of originator of, of that viewpoint. And from the, the viewpoint of the Western psychology, we are the aggregate of all of our parts. And that which we're born into from the Buddhist point of view, which might be the karmic conditions and the challenges that we're, you know, the situation that we're born into that we have to work with, in the psychological point of view, it sort of defines you. And so this is what's referred to as pathology or psychopathology. It's your, it's your set of operating conditions and we can put into that basket, you know, genetics, a predisposition to mental illness, um, your cognitive ability, um, social and emotional makeup, your personality development, all of these things that fall under those scientific categories of identifying, labeling, and diagnosing um, who we are based on how we function. And that's what the study of psychology is. However, from that starting point, the idea is, is that um, we are all, from the Freudian point of view, driven by, you know, unfulfilled um, infant-based, you know, desires, and the pathology expresses itself to a degree um, by which we are kind of normalized in how we function in that way. So for people who have had, um, you know, more um, strongly pronounced disruptions in their early childhood are going to have, you know, or display more kind of neurosis. And uh, based on, you know, Freud's understanding and of what drives us at a, at a more primal level. And those things kind of um, encapsulate around our identity of ourselves. So that brings us to, you know, this, this discrepancy between these two orienting viewpoints. So from the psychology point of view of the West, we are born flawed 
And the best we can do is kind of become what Freud called, <clears throat> excuse me, being a normal neurotic. And this is very different from the fundamental principle of the Eastern or the Buddhist mindset, which is that we are all born pure. We are pure beings. Um, and we have to struggle through life because of the way that our bodies and our minds operate and that uh, we are caught up in the illusions of um, the struggles of our mind and our relationships. But really, at at our core, we are you have evolved out of the universe and um, we contain all the essences of what makes the universe perfect and limitless and uh, it's only our own internal workings and flaws you know that that uh, hold us back and so th that that orienting principle is you know gives you a significantly different um, way of of moving through the world and relating to yourself and to reality. And really what it is, is what I call path versus pathology. So from the mindfulness point of view, everything is process. And when you remind yourself that you are a being that's, that is deserving of love and compassion like any other being, that you are interconnected with all beings, then the things that cause us suffering become something to work with. And we were able to accept the circumstances and recognize them for what they are, which is just us struggling in this moral life. Much like you would if you had limitations of um, you know, physical ability or et cetera, et cetera. And, you, and of course, we're all inspired by tremendous success stories of people who seemingly have physical disabilities and prove to the rest of us that that really is not a limitation in terms of their spirit. So the idea here is that you know, we're not broken and need to be fixed. And that was really the, the impetus for doing today's uh, topic. And please do um, call in at any time. I want your input. I'd love to hear what you have to say on today's topic or any other topic. Um, we had a caller last time, and it was terrific to just to spontaneously switch to a, you know, a, a different uh, conversation, but they all really relate back to the same thing. So the number to call in is 347-945-7891. That's 347-945-7891. If you're listening on the program, that means you've logged in on the website, and you can also go in on the forum. So uh, part of this... Uh, misunderstanding that we are flawed somehow at our core level and need to be fixed leaves us in the state of forever looking for an external fix. And we can kind of find the common ground between the Western and Eastern psychology, and it really does come down to that to that same conundrum, which is that uh, in our early development, we can experience as you know dependent beings as as uh, developing children. Uh, we are very vulnerable, and we need the guidance and security and and love of our parental nest to help shape uh, us as you know uh, sentient beings who are learning how to feel and learning how to make sense of our experience. There are teachers, there are guides, our parents and our families at large, and uh, without that, it leaves you very susceptible to being oversensitive or to having to adapt in ways that may not be very helpful because you had to adapt on your own with limited 
tools as a, as a young person without full cognitive ability and maturity. And we can look at that in the same way in terms of an overview of or or, or an overarching kind of understanding of us as as people, psychologically speaking, culturally speaking, that we're like children. Our society at large here in the in the in the Western Hemisphere, the Northern Hemisphere, in the material world, uh, where we are very oriented towards striving for outward success, and we're much like children in that sense that we're sort of left bewildered by the world and and in a sort of competitive stream to get ahead and define ourselves by getting ahead. And so from either viewpoint, from the psychological uh, point of view of, of the individual or the transpersonal view and the view of the individual within society, it really does come to the same thing, that we there is something very destructive about and really unnatural in a, in a, in a true way about defining ourselves by our external ambition and our external accomplishments. So for the child, of course, as I've said, that leaves you making up all kinds of generalizations which are um, not true. So if you had an insecure attachment when you're growing up, you are going to be forever looking for that ideal parent that you never had, and that can set up all kinds of problems. And as a um, therapist in private practice, I deal with this all the time. Clients predominantly coming to see me have some kind of what's called an attachment wound where there wasn't that secure relationship and it leads them to sort of like compulsively go out and replay this dynamic and, you know, and we have all experienced that. Why do we choose people who are unavailable? Why do we choose people who don't treat us well? And it really comes down to um, the script that we've had to adapt, which says, you know, I'm not... I'm this is what I what I know. This is what's familiar to me. And so, as I said in the last program about subconscious scripts and what plays out for us, it really is those that early conditioning that sets the script, the internal script, sort of the the, the playbook, if you will, in the, in the back of your mind, uh, that shows up in your life. And so, what we are trying to do with this program is to find out what that mechanism is in the various areas of our lives and to live more consciously, to work with that. So here we are, you know, out in the world as wounded children, essentially, looking for that secure parenting, looking for that um, unconditional love and security. And it sets us up with, you know, real generalized state of of, um, distress and anxiety on the personal level. And culturally speaking, in terms of who we are as collectively, as people sort of struggling with these, with you know how to make our way through the world and and um, to live happily, it really is much the same thing that we are. Our culture is in kind of an expression of that um, insecurity, and so we have set ourselves up in this very addictive relationship to material acquisition. To to this the separation the sense of of duality between who we are inside personally with our identity and uh, who we are in the world and so in in this part of the world we are very we all know we are very much caught up in that and we've just come through Christmas holidays that you know it creates a, a 
incredible amount of uh, emotional stress for people um, to prove their worthiness in love or to define their worthiness in love by exchanging gifts. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a custom in our society, but it really does create um, a, a, a lot of suffering for, for people in terms of the stress of having to buy the right gift or did they receive the gift and et cetera, et cetera. And what it really comes down to is just that, again, intrinsic self-worth and, and the connection to yourself. So that um, brings us to, you know, a really key concept here, and it's one that I touch on a lot with my clients. Um, and that is this understanding the, the uh, subtle but very important difference between self-worth and self-esteem. Now, self-worth goes back to what we're talking about, about your intrinsic core value. You know, when you're when you are uh, born, when you when we're first brought into the world, we have nothing to prove. We we and if we idealize, you know, our newborns, that they have all the potential, and we we're transferring onto them all of our unfulfilled wishes and dreams or hopes that and perhaps we haven't accomplished. And there's a sense of like a New Year's resolution. There's this newness, this freshness, and and and. Uh, we we are holding the sort of ideal, you know, uh, capacity of that new young being to fulfill this promise of being, you know, everything that they can be. But it's interesting that we give them a pass because they're a, a, a newborn child, so they you know, haven't yet made any mistakes, and they're everything. You know, they're all potential. And so it's interesting that, that, you know, we start out that way with this fundamental universal right to just be and that we are precious because we are um, alive and we are a newborn spirit into the world. So the question is, why does that have to change? At what point does that diminish? And if you look at it culturally, really the way that we're brought through the education system, it diminishes because we have to fit into an economic system where that is really defined by productivity and productivity is what determines you know success it's the, it's the, it's the driver for um, for you know capitalism and for a market economy and in industrialized society you know you have um, a, 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 a labor force that is doing the work that drives the the economic engine that produces profit for corporations. And so really, in, in generally speaking, um, our education system is designed to train you to, to find your role within that economic system. And of course, there's the promise that you will fulfill yourself and have the you know, um, promise of the, the you know, middle-class income and, and um, family life and, and in a more pronounced way in the sort of cliche of the American dream that the sky's the limit. You know? But the problem is that when we look at the hard numbers, particularly in the United States, and now we can see the enormous divide of income in that country where the top 1% own upwards of 80, 85% of the, of the nation's wealth and resources and the 99% the rest. And that shows you that enormous gap. And that says something about 
psychologically with the values of that society. And so the idea, the illusion that somehow our happiness can is predicated on competing with 1%, the math doesn't, doesn't add up. And so that, again, creates a huge discrepancy between the spiritual value that we are all um, beings of, of um, deserving of love and fulfillment. And, but then somehow that has to measure up competitively with how we fit in in society. And of course, if you're born into circumstances where you are limited by class or by um, your uh, mental ability or your physical ability, um, et cetera, et cetera, you know, it does create real barriers. Um, and of course, people overcome that. But generally speaking, you know, those barriers are real. And they're real obstacles, and they should not be obstacles towards your fulfillment as a person. Um, maybe your fulfillment as an entrepreneur and a you know and captain of industry, but um, not fundamentally in terms of happiness. And so, self worth is something that should be preserved on that level of you know your intact um, core being, the preciousness of human life. Uh, the, the fulfillment of all those aspects of um, human relationships and uh, inter- and interdependence and compassion and love and et cetera, et cetera. And so what happens is then, particularly in early childhood, we get some of these mixed messages. And some of it is just simple neglect and, and um, you know, the erroneous mistakes of parents and, you know, there's no manual for parenting. But it can leave the child... Um, developing what's known as the false self. Now, we develop this sort of a mask or this armor to to ensure that as we are growing older that we are going to be accepted, you know, first within our immediate social circle of our family. And so that can be something as minor as, you know, not being too difficult, too much of a strain. And some of those things are immediately beyond your control. I mean, I work with this all the time with clients where, they, the child was um, not a planned birth or pregnancy, um, that um, maybe it was uh, the, uh, you know, the, the last of the line of children that they had and they weren't expecting another child. Maybe there was economic stress in the family, um, you know, ab- abuse and dysfunction in the family dynamic, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so you've been born into circumstances that are beyond your control in terms of developing a secure sense of self. And so what you have to do is immediately adapt to your the environment around you and, and um, make sure that you stay alive. And, um, you know, that's not your job as a child. And so what is the difference between that and adapting to that world and self-esteem? And self-esteem is just how you feel in the moment. It's really defined by your interactions with other people or, you know, your, your sense of self as you move through the world you know, life is full of ups and downs. But the steepness of that curve um, becomes quite pronounced if uh, your fundamental self-worth isn't intact. In other words, what happens is you start to mistake the ups and downs of your self-esteem and how you feel about yourself with who you really are, with what your value is as a person. And so, you know, we can get into this, and we'll have to get into this in subsequent programs about how that in that reversal of those two aspects of 
self-awareness really set us up um, to devalue ourselves and uh, to be taken advantage of and to self-sabotage because we're not operating from that core relationship of, of self-worth. And, you know, before I forget, I want to come back and address the idea of normalcy. And so I framed everything in terms of the personal within the bigger picture of society. And normal is an interesting concept because normal is a term that uh, really relates to statistical data. And we've all heard of uh, the bell curve, which is essentially where the, if you look at a, 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 a graph or a line um, that represents, you know, the response or the, you know, effect on uh, on a population of people, you'll see that you know there's a there's a, a low effect, and then all of a sudden in the middle, <clears throat> around a certain uh, defining characteristic, whether it's wealth or education or whatever, you'll see a huge hump in in the middle at a certain value, and then it drops off again. So, for example, if you look at most people's earning potential or their ability, you know, their their earning worth in in terms of personal income, um, you know, generally people speaking, people in North America, you know, tend to be middle income on the average. And so that that idea of normal is there to define the average of that entire population, and it represents the median um, skew, the value. Not skew, but the median um, uh, set um, within that statistical survey. And so that's, you know, that's helpful when it comes to numerical analysis. You want to look at stats. You want to look at who's earning, who's sick, who's healthy, et cetera, et cetera. And you can see, okay, this is where normal fits in. So this is very, normal is very helpful when you're looking at cholesterol levels, when you're looking at, um, you know, intellectual ability, when you're looking at um, debt load, all these sort of markers for how, how we're doing. But normal is not helpful in the psychological sense in terms of how we are adapted to the world and what defines us as a person because we're all different, we're all unique, and certainly you know, there's a range of normal function. Like there is medically speaking for your physical health, you know, there is a normal set of um, parameters for you know, how you perceive things and you're not hallucinating, et cetera, et cetera. That's a given. But normal as a descriptor of who you are and what your value is, is very troublesome. And so if we go back to the way that, you know, we've been talking or I've been talking about previously about um, how we really have to sacrifice our universal self-worth like any other being with what we believe we have to prove within our family or within our social environment and our jobs and our spouses and our standing in society and how we compete with the Joneses and all that, um, it creates a lot of problems. And so we start to really try and pin ourselves on the map of normal and stop paying attention to who we really are inside. And ironically, you know, everything we know about how you fulfill yourself, how we are self-actualized and how we actually you know, reach our potential as human beings to, to the gifts that we have and, the, you know, our, our the full extent of our personality and everything we have to offer is based on our relationship with ourselves. So um, you can see how that causes this, you know, this rift. And 
you know, that relates to perfect as well. You know, normal is not perfect. Normal is just the, 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 the average. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, do you want to be normal? Do you want to fit in with what's acceptable? Or do you want to be extraordinary? And it really comes down to being able to um, manage and work with your relationship with yourself and really come back and nurture you know, kind of in, a, in, a, in terms of a compassionate way, making friends with who you really are and redefining what may seem like is flawed about you, especially as it relates to where you stand in society. But when you frame it back in terms of you are a precious being that's come into existence and have as much right to fulfill yourself and to be happy and without having to prove anything, just by being alive, that you are brilliant and lovable and all these things, then it changes that whole um, evaluation scheme, you know, where I fit in and whether I'm a good person and how do I feel today. And so a very quick story is about a Zen master and his student approaches him and the, and the, the, the Zen master is sitting on the steps of the, of the monastery, the temple, and, and he's polishing a stone. And the student says, Roshi, what are you doing? And he says, I am polishing the stone until it becomes like glass. And the student says, uh, you know, perfectly like a, like, a, like a gem. And the student says, well, you know, master, that's impossible. I mean, you'll be here forever. And the, and the Zen master looks at him and says, exactly. So the point is perfection gets in the way of the process of working with ourselves. And by and by, we do polish that rock into relatively becoming diamond-like. Because in the process, we are showing care and concern and authentic relationship to ourselves. Well, that's it for the program. As usual, the time's run out. I hope you enjoyed it. And tune in next Tuesday. And uh, we'll see you next time on The Mind Whisperer.